go ahead and grab a seat and grab your Bibles. Do it at the same time, I guess. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. No more appropriate uh, chorus than speak what is true. We're going to uh, look at a great uh, challenging passage of Scripture in a few minutes. While you're finding your way there, I want to begin kind of with this question. Is it ever too late? Um, have you ever found yourself where you said, you know, and, and you ask the question, is it ever too late? Uh, a number of years ago, we were driving back to North Carolina. I think it was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we headed east out of Waco, kind of taking that shortcut over toward Tyler. And uh, I was getting thirsty. The girls were getting thirsty. It was about 4 o'clock. And, you know, we were just kind of tooling along through this little town. And there was a Sonic, you know, over there on the left. And so we whipped in and... I was convinced it was 4 o'clock, and the guy behind the microphone was convinced it was 4.01. And I, I said, are you sure it's too late? And he said, it's too late. You're not getting happy hour. And so being the good, thrifty guy I am, I said, thank you very much, and we went on down the road. You know, if you're going to make a big deal over a minute, then okay. But it, but it was too late. You know, the fact was that, you know, Four o'clock, four o one. I was too late. Reminded me of something. John Michael Montgomery. If you're a country fan, you remember this song, uh, "Life's a Dance." You know, when I was fourteen, uh, I was falling fast for a blue-eyed girl in my homeroom class. Trying to find the courage to ask her out was like—I uh, don't want to sound like I'm singing. So let me slow down. <laughs> was like trying to get off from a water spout. What she would have said, I can't say. I never did ask. And she moved away. But I learned something from my blue-eyed girl. Sink or swim, you got to give it a whirl. What he found out was it was too late. Some of you wanted to go to the prom with somebody way back when. And you didn't ask them until it was too late. And some of you showed up at Kohl's expecting this 50% off. And realized it ended yesterday. And now it's too late. Uh... Or uh, you, you, you got to your kid's basketball game. And uh, when, I was in eighth, when I was in ninth grade, I think it was, uh, the most points I scored, uh, we taught, I taught the coach into letting the second team start. That tells you where, where I was. And I said, Coach, Coach, you ought to just let us start instead of putting us in at the end. He was my civics teacher. And he did. He let us in. And so we started the game, played the first half of the first quarter. I scored the most points I scored all year. And right when they took me out, my mom comes walking in. But you've been there, right? It's too late. Or, or, or maybe you sent an application in to college or you wanted to change a class or you wanted to drop a class maybe and you found out, uh-oh, it's too late. Or maybe you put off you doing your taxes and you thought, well, I'll get it all together last weekend and, you know, and you get to putting everything together and you realize, man, there's something I got to have that I don't have and April 15th is here and it's too late. I mean, there, there's a thousand examples we could give of of when you you just you're too late. You showed up too late. You asked too late. You thought of it too late. But whatever it was, it is too late. It's so what I want to ask you this morning. When it comes to repenting, when it comes to putting your faith in Jesus Christ, when it comes to turning from your sin and turning to God, when it comes to turning away from 
rebellion against God and, and deciding to follow after God, is it ever too late? Can you ever get to the place to where the time has run out? Is it, is it ever too late? That's a fair question. That's a great question. I think it's a compelling question. Because the reality is, if you don't make the sale at Kohl's today, they'll have one next week. If you don't pay your taxes, they'll assess you a fee. And you'll be all right. And even though you didn't go to the prom with her or him, you survived. And Sonic's going to have a happy hour today. Starts at 2 o'clock, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> None of that really matters. But, but if the opportunity to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, if, 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 if you wait too late for that, then it's too late. And so we gotta, we got to wrap our minds around this question, is it ever too late? And if it is... When is it too late? Is it too late for you? I mean, if you put Jesus off before and if you pushed Jesus back before and, and, and you're here today and you're going, okay, I, I don't know. Is it, is it too late? And so we're going to, we're, we're going to jump into a, a very interesting passage of scripture and we're going to try to wrap our minds around that question and we're going to try to find an answer to that question. And so look with me, the book of Hebrews, and let me just say a word. I probably, I don't know that, I, I, I may have studied as much this week as I ever had. I, I know I have, I have uh, massaged this text in my mind more this week than I ever have a, a passage of scripture. And uh, it's, uh, it's kind of, I'll tell you how challenging it is. When, when I was in seminary, when I, we had to take intermediate Greek, which is this kind of second level of Greek and and our professor, Dr. Melick, said, guys, you've got to pick a difficult passage and you've got to work through that passage. You've got to work that text. And we had the option of Hebrews chapter 6 and a passage in Colossians. I think it was Colossians chapter 1. I, I don't remember the Colossians passage. I just know I was scared to death of Hebrews and so I picked Colossians. And man, this week I was thinking, man, I wish I would have picked Hebrews. But it was too late. <laughs> you know, it was 20 years ago I could have worked through this text and had my Greek professor help me interpret it. But I, no, no, I didn't want to do it then. And so here I've been this week kind of, kind of wrapping my mind around this text. Let me read it to you. You go, man, what's so hard about this? Let me read it and then we'll discuss it and, uh, we'll see where it lands. Hebrews 6, begin with me there in verse 1. We'll go down, go down through. Verse 12, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, 
Now listen to this. It is impossible for those who have tasted and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust. So as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name and serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Shall we pray together? Father, speak your truth. Man, that's my, the prayer of my heart. Lord, I, 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 I take a step back, Lord, and I, I just hide myself behind the cross. And I would, I would invite you, God, to, to speak through me. That I wouldn't speak according to my own wisdom or, or according to men's wisdom, but rather, as Paul wrote, in demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. That you might speak out of this word your truth and that you might speak into our hearts uh, regarding this burning question. Is it ever too late? And if it is, when is it too late? God, I pray that you'd unpack this text for us. Pray that you'd give us ears to hear this morning. That we might know the truth of the gospel and that the truth of the gospel might indeed set us free. So I would, I would say, Father, to have your way in this auditorium. I know there, there are men and women and young people here this morning. At differing levels of faith. Some are not there yet. Some are almost there. Some have been there and are deep. And, and Father, just may your word fall on our hearts and not return void, but accomplish your work. And we'll give you the glory and the honor for all you do. And so we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, not to belabor the point, but this is, in fact, the challenging passage to interpret. And, and I mean, there's many times when I can stand up here just with boldness and say, Thus saith the Lord, because it's right in the Scriptures and it's easy to interpret. This is not one of those days. And you'll see that when we get into our text. That, that there, we just, there's some things we got to wrestle with. And, and I'm going to let you wrestle with them because I, I can't decide for you. You're going to have to kind of wrap your mind around that. Uh, so, so let's look. When you look at the text, I believe it divides itself into three sections, one through three, four through eight, nine through twelve. One through three, uh, the writer is speaking first person plural. In other words, he's talking about us and we. He begins with us, let us, you know, let us leave the elementary and let us go on to maturity. And this we will do. So that's kind of that. that so he's talking. And, and then he kind of transitions in verse 4. And it seems like he's speaking kind of third person plural. Because he goes, those who. He talks about they. And he talks about them. So it seems like it's a different section. Now, uh, kind of the issue with that. Or the one issue with that is. There actually no. In, in that whole section. There are actually no verbs. There's a bunch of participles which are verbal nouns. And so, so, but the translators in, in all the translations treat it as third person plural. And then when you get to the fourth or the third paragraph, nine through twelve, 
he kind of scales back and he kind of goes from talking about they and them, which kind of includes everybody. Then he says to the Hebrews, now concerning you, we, we feel confident there's better things for you. So, 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 so second person plural. So it seems like there are three different, uh, segments of the audience, which I think kind of bears witness to, to what I believe is true of this Hebrew congregation. That in that congregation, there were strong believers. There were, there were marginal believers. And, and there were those that, are, that were not yet believers. And so in the context of all that, I believe the writer is speaking into that because, again, this letter was written to them and then it was read to them. And so so we've got to kind of wrap our mind around these three paragraphs, and, and we're going to have to go really quick, so I'm just going to breeze over the first the first section. Uh, if you want to, if you'd like to take notes, just write down this thought. Uh, one through three is the pursuit of maturity. Uh, notice what he says, therefore, in light of everything we wrote about, I, I talked about it last week, Moving from milk to solid food, we won't go back there. But in light of all that, the writer says, let us leave the elementary principles regarding Christ and let us go on to maturity. And then he gives a list. Now that's a very interesting, if, if four through six were not so challenging and difficult uh, to interpret, we would spend a lot of time in chapters one through three because this list is really interesting. Some people say, well, that's, that's the basic doctrines of being a Christian. While other people say, oh no, those are the basic doctrines from the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. Repentance uh, from dead works, faith toward God. Sounds like, it really sounds like the New Testament, though in the New Testament it says repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second two words, the instructions about, uh, about washings, some of your translations may say instructions about baptisms, but that's plural and it really isn't talking about baptism as we know it, but it's really more, uh, it's really talking about ceremonial cleansing, which is an Old Testament deal. You know, the priest had to, he had to wash in a certain way before he could ever slaughter an animal. And then the next phrase, the laying on of hands, well, in the, in the New Testament, uh, you know, that, that's the thing where, where the apostles might lay the hands on and, and pray for people. And while that's true, but in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, when you brought an, if you brought a goat, or you brought a lamb, or you brought a bullet, whatever you brought for your sin offering, the priest would have you place your hands on that offering, symbolizing that that your sin had been transmitted to that animal, and then that animal would be slaughtered because, because sin demands death. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so you can really make an argument, those are Old Testament truths. And then uh, the, the next two statements about uh, the resurrection of the dead, clearly taught in both the old and new, and eternal judgment, clearly uh, tra- taught in both. Though the New Testament to the believer talks about not eternal judgment, but simply a judgment of works. And, and, and so we can spend a good deal of time there. And, I, and I, I bring all that up to make you think. But at the end of the day, what the author is saying is we, we need to move on from the elementary stuff. I think the prevailing thought was because they were all Jewish, the natural tendency when things got hard, let's go back to Judaism, is what we're comfortable with. And he said, you don't want to go back to the elementary things. Instead, you need to go on to maturity. Now, in our culture, we wouldn't go back to that. You know what we go back to in America? You know what immature believers go back to in America? We go back to good works. 
We go back and say, well, you know, uh, you talk to someone that they've, they've, they've named the name of Jesus. You know, they've kind of been saved. They've drifted. They've kind of backslid. You know, uh, they'll get to talk about, you know, well, I was saved, and it, but I try to do the best I can. You know, I just try to treat people right. I try to be good. And it's, that's kind of the default. Well, the default, I believe the default to the Jewish person was let's go back. Remember how Paul always had the right in, to the, to the churches and he talked about how the Jews couldn't, they couldn't get past circumcision. They couldn't get past Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you, you, you gotta get past that. We've gotta get past it. If we're gonna go on to maturity, we've gotta get by that and we gotta go on to the deeper things of God. And that's what we're gonna get to in March when we get into Melchizedek. So, but anyway, so the pursuit of maturity. Now, the second section, and this is where we're gonna spend our time this morning, is, let me just read it again, beginning in verse four. And that's really a, that's kind of a causal statement. And because of that, he kind of begins the verse four. He says, for it's impossible. Now, I want you to listen to this because I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you when I'm done, I want you to think about who is he writing to? Who's he talking about? Listen to what he says. For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Now the question of the hour is, who's, who's they? Who's them? Who's those who? Who is He talking about there? And I, 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 was, I was wrestling with this not this past week, but even the week before, and Dan says, Mike, you just need to give people uh, both views. Well, there's actually four views. So I'm, I'm going to give you four of the popular views about who the they, the them, and those who are, because that is key to understanding the passage. And so let me give you the four views. The first one is that they were true believers, they became apostates, and they lost their salvation. Now, there are those in evangelical circles who, who are believers, uh, but they do not believe in the security of the believer. In other words, they do not believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. And that it is possible for you to sin enough to where you fall away, you lose your salvation. Now, but the issue is those that believe that, they also believe if you lose it today because you really mess up, man, Thursday you can get it back. You just got to repent, Right? And so, but you can't use this text for that. Because this text says, if you fall away, it's impossible. Not it's difficult. Not it's really hard. No, no. The writer says, it's impossible to renew them or restore them again to repentance. And so, but the, but the scripture is very clear. John 10, verse 27 and 28, Jesus says, my sheep hear, or verse 28 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Nobody can snatch them out of my hand. And then he says, I and the Father, the Father's greater than I am. Nobody's even able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then uh, Jonathan referenced Romans 8, where it says, you know, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then Paul goes into this diatribe. In fact, you need to, let's go to, uh, let's go to Romans. I want you to see this in your copy of the Word of God. You probably want to mark this down. Listen to what he says 
Romans 8, I'll read 35 and then verse 37 and following. 35 says this, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then look, listen to verse 37. No, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure or convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any... Look, look at this. Nor anything else in all creation. That includes your choice. That includes your sin. Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so the Bible's clear that when you're genuinely saved, you can't be lost. So we can, dis- we can dismiss number one. That's not the, the target, in, in my opinion. Second, the second one that's going to come up, can we go all the way to three? Oh, uh, no, we, it's right now. It's fixed. Okay, let's, let, let's, let's do three first. Pretend three is two. The true believer, they believe that, that it's true believers, but it's hypothetical. That the writer was just saying now to warn the people. He said, now, now we want you to go into maturity, but I just want you to know that, uh, if, if, if you experienced all this and if you've kind of come to know Christ and if you were to fall away, then it would be impossible to renew you to repentance because if you fall away, you've crucified the Son of God all over again to your harm or to your shame and to His, uh, demise or to His shame. And, and he's saying that, that, that hypothetically, you need to behave because this could happen, but it really can't happen because it's just hypothetical. Now that doesn't make, make sense. Now I may not be clear on that, but, but the issue is some people say, oh, that's what the, that's what he means. No, no. A warning, a warning is not a warning if somebody says, don't do that because if you do that, this could happen and then say, but this never could really happen. I mean, try that with your kids. If you touch that, I'm going to spank you, but don't worry, uh, I'm never ever going to spank you. That won't carry any weight. And so, for that reason, I would dismiss this view, the hypothetical view. That brings us to the third view, which is the second view on our slide. And that is that these are true believers, but they experienced apostasy. If you take notes, draw a line through the word apostasy and write down fall away. So it's true believers, they fall away, and, and they don't lose their salvation, but they lose their reward. And this view, uh, some guys I greatly respect uh, hold to this view. Uh, there's a couple problems with this view. Uh, by the way, there's problems with every view. You just got to decide which problem you want to try to deal with. So, so let me just give you the, the problems uh, with this view that I'll give you a couple of them. The first one is that uh, you got to believe that when, when he says they fall away, that they don't fall all the way away. They just, they fall so far that they can't be forgiven or repent from their sin, but they don't fall far enough to lose their soul. That's kind of the idea. And in one writer says, well, it doesn't use the word apostasy. It uses another word. But the word means to fall away. It doesn't mean to fall almost away. It means to fall away. And so I think that that creates a problem here for this 
translation or for this view. That, that's, a, that's one of the difficulties for this view. A second difficulty for this view, by the way, in Scripture, I've not found a, a believer that, that fell so far they could not repent. I've not found one. Not to say they can't be there. Now, some would argue, well, the, the spies in the Old Testament, but you can make them an argument on both sides, which we'll see later. But I mean, you think about King David, God's man, God's leader. I mean, he was, he was the, he was the prime testimony for God in the Old Testament. Committed adultery with one of his soldier's wife, uh, brought him home, got him drunk, couldn't get him back down to sleep with his wife to cover his track. So he had him murdered. You know, just egregious wickedness. And yet he could repent and did and was restored. Now there were consequences, but he could repent. And even in the New Testament, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 talks about the, the believer in the church that was, that had his father's wife. In other words, he was with his stepmother. And, and Paul says, not even the pagans are that wicked. And he says, you know, if you read it, it sounds like, you know, he's apostate, he's gone. But then over in Second Corinthians chapter 2, they write about the brother being restored. Now, arguably, he doesn't name that guy, but either that guy was restored to repentance or the guy that was an enemy of the gospel of Paul's was restored to repentance. And so some believe that that's a reference to, and I concur, that that, that guy repented. But what we see in, in, in Scripture is that if you're a true believer, you can repent. But this view says if you can sin so much that you can't repent. And so that's a, that's a challenge and that is a difficult uh, thing to wrap our mind around. A second issue that, that at least this is Philipsology, you can take it for what it's worth. But a second problem with this view that, that I see in the scriptures is if you notice there, verse 6 says that uh, it's impossible... Uh, when they follow away, or then follow away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to con- contempt. Can, can, can a true believer, can a true believer really totally turn his back on the purity, holiness, and majesty of Jesus and walk away without any remorse, without any recourse? Can that really happen? And that's kind of a question I have. And more than that, and not only that, it says there, the idea is to crucify again or to crucify, uh, to re-crucify, if you will, Jesus. So the same person not only has to turn his back and walk away from everything holy, everything godly, everything God stands for, but then to, to re-crucify, the idea is that he then lines himself up with those who crucified Jesus. And I guess my question is, if you've been genuine, genuinely redeemed and born again, can you turn your back, walk away, stand with the crowd and yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, give me Barabbas, crucify Jesus? I, that's problematic with this view, that you, you can fall this far, not quite to lose your salvation, but this close, and then you lose all your rewards. Because that issue, it, it doesn't say a lot about rewards. 
So that's the difficulty of view number three. Now we come to the fourth view, which is not without its problems. This is the one that I lean toward, and I'll kind of tell you why, but I want to address the problems because I want you, I want you to see the problems with this view because this view has its own issues. The fourth view is that the, the audience that he's talking about specifically here in this section, uh, they were false believers. They looked like believers, but they weren't really believers, and therefore they committed apostasy, and they fell away, and they were eternally Condemned. Now, there are two major problems with this view. Number one is verse 4 and 5 sounds a lot like they were genuinely saved. We'll get into that. And then the second thing is uh, restoring them again to repentance, which we'll get into. But, but let's, let's just read that. Because when you read this statement that says, For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Sounds like believer. They've been enlightened. Okay, um, have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the, the, the good word of God and the promises of the age to come. Man, it, sound, man, it sounds so much like a believer. But, but just think about this. It's possible uh, every true believer, someone said this, every true believer has been enlightened, but not every person who's been enlightened is a true believer. I think it was Wayne Grudem who talked about, remember in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, uh, the prophecy about Jesus, it says the one, uh, those who, who have been living in darkness have seen a great light. In other words, they've been enlightened. Everybody that had been exposed to Jesus had been enlightened, and yet many of them didn't believe. Let me just throw one name out that fits all these categories. Judas Iscariot. I mean, he'd been enlightened three years with Jesus. He had tasted the, the heavenly. I mean, he, 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 I mean he, he knew what it was like. So it's possible to be enlightened. If you go to the Old Testament, you read about Balaam. Balaam, God spoke to him. I mean, God even spoke to him through a donkey. But God spoke to him. He had, he had a great amount of enlightenment. And God told him, you don't do that. And, and it seemed like he did what God said. But when you read about him in the New Testament, every reference of all three says, hey, you don't want Balaam's error. He, he, he missed it. And so it's possible to be enlightened and not be saved. Now, the second phrase, tasted the heavenly gift. Now, some people say that's the Holy Spirit. Others say it's salvation. It, it, it's Doubtlessly, it's got to probably be one of the two. But it's, it's to be exposed to what it means to be saved. Now, it's easy to say, well, you know, you just taste something doesn't mean you swallow it. And that's kind of the argument. But there's a problem with that argument. Because in Hebrews 2.9, it says Jesus tasted death for us. He died. He didn't just taste. So that is problematic. But on the other side, in Matthew 27, they offered Jesus wine mixed with gall. And he tasted it. But he refused it. And so the word can, the, the, the word can be used... For tasting and then refusing. We, we've all done that. Remember when, you don't remember this, I don't remember this. When we first tried green beans, pureed up baby food, I suspect most of us tasted and then refused. At least our kids did. 
right? I mean, you, you, you've done that. You've had to try Brussels sprouts or whatever it is. My, for my wife, it would be coffee. I mean, she, she's tasted and tasted and tasted. But to her, it's not the heavenly gift. Isn't that right, honey? It's not. You know, I, I, I can pour so much sugar in it, you couldn't drink it. It's not. But, but, but we've all been there. So, so I, here's what I'm saying. It's possible to taste and still refuse. Then we come to share of the Holy Spirit. Man, this gets even. I mean, how can you share in the Holy Spirit? And not really be saved. Well, I think the Spirit worked in some people in the Old Testament. And they weren't saved. But let me just call your attention to, to Matthew 7. I want, you to, I want you to just turn there. I want you to see this. And as I read this, I want you to just, as, as we read these things Jesus is talking about, could it be that they, they're, they're shared, these people had shared in, they were influenced by, if you will, the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name? Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Jesus, didn't we do mighty works in your name? Sounds like the Holy Spirit was influencing them. At least influencing them, right? And Jesus, what did Jesus say? Depart. I never knew you. And so, so I would submit to you, it's possible to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, to be convinced by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the real deal. It's, it's possible to get right up to the edge like I do every week. You're right here at the precipice of jumping off into selfishness. It's possible to get here. And they say, no, no, I don't know that I want to do that. And I think, I believe the author is talking about people, false believers. They look like they're saved. They had every opportunity to be saved. But at that moment of absolute surrender, they step back and said, no, no, don't think so. Think about the spies, Numbers 13 and 14. They, the spies went into the land. I mean, they, they carried, the grapes were so big, they had to put them on a pole. I mean, the clusters were so, I mean, I mean, they sampled the milk and honey. They tasted it. They felt it. They experienced it. They enjoyed it for 40 days. But they said, well, there's some giants in the land. And so 10 of them said, we've seen it. We know it's true. We've seen it all. We've tasted of the goodness. We know. But we're scared. And we don't trust God. And so we're not going in. So they were right there at the promised land. Which, by the way, is a, a picture, a symbol of salvation, right? The promised land. They were right there. But they stepped back. Step back. Now, now, David Allen, who's a proponent of View 3, would say, yes, and they died in the wilderness, but they didn't, they didn't lose their salvation. My question is, were they really saved? Because they didn't take God in His Word. And, and so what I submit to you is that this is, this is difficult, but it is possible. Now, there's one other difficulty that we've got to wrap our hands around and then we've got we to move. And that is... 
It's impossible to renew them again to repentance or to restore them to repentance if they crucify the Son of God all over again. No, the question is, okay, the, the, the argument, well, how do you restore, you know, if they didn't have repentance in the first place, how do you restore them again? And that's, a diff, that's difficult. It's hard to, to wrestle with that. But what I would submit to you is, is, is the idea is it's impossible to bring them back to here to this point of, no return to where you can, you're, you're convicted, you're convinced, you're to be saved. It, 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 you know, if you're here and you step back and say no, what the writer's saying is that it, it, it's impossible to get you back here. Now, you can pick which view you want to pick. Because whichever one it is, you've got to deal with the issues. But I think there's a more compelling issue that we need to deal with this morning. And that is that wherever you land, there's a point where it's too late. If you say no to Jesus, there's going to come a day when it's too late. And you're going to miss out. And what you've got to decide for yourself, have I truly been saved and born again? And what I want you to wrestle with today, and we'll just skip the last point. I want you to come, you know, it's possible to be too late. But if you're here today, it's not too late. Because God's speaking into your life. And for some of you, you've never, I mean, maybe you've been a church guy. Maybe you've done all these things like we've talked about. But you've never in your heart surrendered to Jesus. So would you be willing today to set it all aside and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender to you. Because the writer said, he he, he said now to you, I'm confident of better things for you. He said, though we speak like this, and so though I speak like this, I'm confident of something better for you. If you've never trusted Jesus, you can today. Settle the issue today. Had a man in in one of my discipling groups. We've been studying the Word together. And he comes today and says, Mike, I've been doing all these things. But in here, something's missing. And so he surrendered to Jesus today. So my question is, how about you? How about you? Let's bow together. Uh, Jonathan's going to come and play for just a moment. Uh, and, and I just, I just want to ask you, I, I love you. I want God's best for you. But I got to ask you, are you really born again? Have you been justified and sanctified through faith in Jesus Christ? By the way, none of those words like born again, justified, sanctified, redeemed, none of those are written about those people. Because I don't think they'd ever been redeemed. They had never been born again. Have you been born again? Are you absolutely certain that if you walk out that door today and step out into eternity tonight, that you'll be with Jesus? Not because you're a good boy, not because you're a good dad, not because you're a good mom, not because you're a good daughter, son, but because you surrendered 
your life to Jesus. You decided, I'm going to turn from my way and my sin and my rebellion. And I'm going to turn to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Have you done that? And if you say, no, I haven't, would you be willing to make that commitment today? Would you be willing today, sitting right where you are, to pray to God and say, dear God, today I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. God, I don't know how late's too late, but I don't want to miss out. And so today, God, I surrender. Jesus, I turn from my sin. Jesus, I place my faith in you. Jesus, come live in my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. Friend, if you'll make that commitment, the Bible says, the Bible says, not me, not mine, but the Scripture says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call on Jesus? Father, would you have your way in every heart and every life this morning? And when you do, we'll give you the glory and honor. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look at me. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have an old-fashioned altar call. Some of you here today, you've never been saved. You've never settled the issue. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come and say, Pastor Mike, I I want to solve that issue today. Or maybe you prayed that prayer with me and you've you've already said, hey, Jesus, I surrender. You just need to come and tell us. Some of you need to be saved today. Some of you, you're saved, but, but you're, not, you're not going on with Jesus. You're not going on to maturity. You, you've been in the same place for years. You need to come today and say, okay, God, I, you're in control. So let's stand together. If God's stirring your heart, I want to invite you to come and give your life to Jesus. You come as we sing. Give your life to Jesus.